Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, a top-rated business podcast, and I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I am honored. I'm actually really excited to welcome back to the show Martin Cooper. Now, Martin is the inventor of the cell phone, and he is known as one of the top 100 inventors in history. When he was here a few months ago, he shared how the cell phone has transformed humanity, and it has. So today, I have the opportunity to ask him about what have been termed Marty's maxims. These things are developed over the years as a framework for thinking about the future, and these maxims guide his curiosity, which, as you can imagine, is intense, and it's very much a part of who he is and his character. He is also the author of a new book, Cutting the Cord, The Cell Phone Has Transformed Humanity. I have a lovely autographed copy in front of me as we speak. I also have a galley copy that he sent uh, before the book was published. So lucky me, I have both of them. Marty, welcome back to your partner in Success Radio. It's so good to have you back. Wonderful to be here, Denise. Thank you. And thank you for the book. I was so excited. I mean, I love the galley. I you know, we had talked about it before our first podcast, I think it was in December, and I scribbled all over that thing. I've got notes on it. I've got sticky notes. I've got yellow markers. I've got pink markers. I thought it was a terrific book, but then again, I love history, and this is very much a part of living history, isn't it? Well, it is, and, and I'm, I can't tell you how flattered I am that, you're, that you put notes on my uh, thing. And, and, you know, they're, they're, uh, in general, people have been very kind to me about the book, but one reviewer on Amazon uh, said that I was self-aggrandizing. Did you find that to be the case? I read that because actually I'm getting ready to go over and, you know, write a review, and I started to have a little argument with him, but... Then again, I also had the idea that he was just an ass, so I decided to ignore him. <laughs> I, I I didn't see where he was coming from other than to aggrandize himself. That's what I got out of it. He did sound like uh, something of a snob, but I can't be objective about guys who criticize you. <laughs> I, know. I, I, I read them all, and you know I think the book is great. You know that I've chatted with you about it because I love the story. I love how you frame how all of this was done, and I love history. And when I get to speak to somebody who really is a living legend and shares history with me, I'm as happy as I can be. So heck with him. He was wrong. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm really relieved. The the other news I have to tell you, uh, Denise, is I have a, a a well-known producer wants to make a movie of the book. Oh, really? Is that a yeah? It, now you know he's got to he's, he's got to raise the money and uh, and uh, find a writer right. and all that kind of stuff. So it could take years and years, but it's, uh, that's also really oh. flattering. So I, I I may develop his full head on this thing. And then your ass friend may be right. <laughs> yeah, he 
I'm surprised I didn't hear about this. I thought Devin would, you know, our friend Devin Blaine would have already told me about this. I guess she wanted you to be the first to tell me. That is massive news, and congratulations. I'm so proud. Well, we'll see how well he does. Thank you. Oh, who's going to play you? Well, I don't know. Who do you think? <laughs> this, this is so far in the future. We, the, the guys that we would pick now may be too old by the time they make the movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it should be interesting to see. I'll be honest with you. I don't really watch movies, and I don't like Hollywood. I just don't. You talk about self-aggrandizing, but... I I will follow. I will follow you and keep me posted as you learn more. I can't wait to hear. So while I've got you, is there anything that you want people to know about the book before I move away from it? Because it's an important book. And as far as I'm concerned, it ought to be a bestseller. And I hope it will be. Well, that's sweet of you to say that. The other thing I would uh, tell people is to not be intimidated by uh, a little bit of the technology there. I really tried to to make the thing as comfortable and understandable as I could, but there are one or two places that do get a little uh, techy, and uh, people should just ignore those and, and uh, move on, because the, uh, the book is not intended to be uh, technology at all. It's really about people, and that's uh, what I think uh, uh, technology is all about, the cell phone. It's all about people, not uh, not technology. So uh, uh, be patient with me. Oh, there's some terrific stories in there. I mean, things that, and we talked about this the last time you were here, about how you made the first cell phone outside on the street, and I wanted to know who you called. So share that with us, and then we'll move on to the um, the maxims. Oh, I thought we talked about the first phone call, but... Uh, we did, this, this but is, uh, anybody what, anybody listening today won't have heard it. Okay, uh, this uh, were uh, I take you back to April third, nineteen seventy three, ancient times. You know, and I really mean primitive times, where there were no computers, no personal computers, uh, no digital cameras. The internet had not been invented yet. There were no large scale integrated circuits. So uh, here I was demonstrating the very first handheld portable telephone. Uh, And I really wanted this to be a real demonstration. So where I'm standing on 6th Avenue in New York with a reporter, and we're walking down the street so I could demonstrate the freedom that comes from having a a wireless telephone uh, at a time when all the other telephones of the world had wires on them. And I... Serendipitously, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to call my counterpart at AT AT&T, my sort of enemy, because they wanted to have car telephones, and I thought they were crazy that car telephones were uh, almost as bad as having wires. You know, we've been trapped by that wire for 100 years. Now we're going to be trapped in our cars. And so I pulled out my uh, uh, printed telephone book. Can you imagine talking about primitive times? And I looked up Joel Engel's number, who who was the fellow at AT AT&T, and I dialed it, and a miracle. He answered the phone himself. And I said, hi, Joel. This is Marty Cooper. And he says, hi, Marty. And I said, I'm calling you from a a cell phone. 
I mean, a real cell phone, a handheld, portable cell phone. Silence on the other end of the line. I think he's gritting his teeth. To this day, uh, Joel was very nice to me, but to this day, he uh, uh, claims he doesn't remember that call. And I guess I don't blame him today. <laughs> he remembers it. <laughs> I would. That's not something I would be yeah. able to forget ever. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly will not forget it. No. And there was a reporter with you if you really have to, you know, make a scene about it. But let's talk about your maxims because, I mean, you've got some terrific ones. I have a whole list of them here. One of them and because we're talking about wireless connectivity, one of them you say is ubiquitous and affordable wireless connectivity is essential, especially in education, healthcare, and boy, do we need that now. So let's talk about that a bit and then move on to the rest of the maxims that you think people need to hear. Well, I, I hope that resonates with you. I, uh, it turns out that that uh, the future of the education is one where students will have access to the internet, and they they when they have that access, they can reach all the knowledge of the world. Students will know more than their teachers. You think about it, right? And and they will be able to access that information wherever they are, 24 hours a day. Anytime they have a thought, they can reach out into the world. Uh, they uh, they can learn. They can take classes. Uh, they can uh, look up information, and the people, students that have that ability, will be end up being smarter, bigger brains, uh, and more successful than students who don't have that access. Well, think about this: in the United States today, we're the most advanced country in the world. Forty percent of the people in our country have no internet access that, that is uh, useful. And you you cannot have a situation where 40% of the people uh, are dummies and the other 60% are smart. The ability to have Internet access, I think, is as important as water and food. It's essential. And, and somebody, somehow the government has to make sure that all of us have that access. So I, I, it's kind of a stretchy thing, comparing internet access with, with food and water, uh, but uh, I, I can't imagine a, a two-class society. Can you? No, I really can't, and the the internet is very important to me. It always has been. Look, I decided that I was going to be working from home with a computer before I could even afford a computer, and my first computer was basically, Marty, honest to God, it was a boat anchor. It was just a word processor. It had no internet. It had nothing. It was MS-DOS. I still have those those binders in my office because I paid for those things. They were expensive. But when the internet came along, I knew it was out there. I was just waiting on it. It is very important to me and to a lot of people. It's how we communicate. It's how we absorb information. It's how we insult each other, apparently. But... You know, there's there's so many ways to use the internet and use it in a wise, smart, calm way. And I'm wondering, this is going to sound remarkably silly, I think, but I'm wondering if there will be 
ways for people to teach us how to be nicer and kinder on the internet, how to use our critical judgment, our critical thinking and, you know, filter out the garbage. I suspect there will be. I suspect people will start to see that the internet is here to stay. We need it. Now let's use it wisely. Well, I agree with you. I I have an abiding confidence in people. Uh, I know there are a lot of uh, nasty people around, but uh, uh, sooner or later, I think uh, our society is becoming more and more educated all the time. And I don't mean educated school-wise. I mean educated in the way you just described. Uh, People are getting wiser, uh, and they're going to figure it out. And uh, uh, having knowledge has always got to be better than being ignorant. So oh, yeah. I like people. I, I know I know you do too. I do for fifty nine and three quarter minutes, but I'm an introvert. <laughs> That's all I can take. <laughs> I can, after that, I got to go. <laughs> but no, I like people. But I do catch myself worrying. Well, I don't know if worrying is correct because, like you, I have a lot of faith in really the kindness of of human beings if they'll let it out. But. I catch myself being concerned that people can get so nasty. And then I start to read what they're saying. I go, well, you just don't know what you're saying, do you? You really are quite ignorant. And once I arrive at that conclusion, which oftentimes is unassailable, you can't arrive at any other conclusion, then I feel bad for them. And that's what kind of prompted me to ask you if there would be a point where we would start to teach how to actively and smartly use the Internet and, you know, not fall into rabbit holes all the time. I'm, I'm hoping that that's true, because uh, much as I agree with you about ignoring these people, uh, I think we're both sensitive, and uh, when somebody is offensive, uh, it, it hurts me. Uh, but uh, you can only hope for the better. That's exactly right. So. Marty, when did you start these maxims? They had to come out of just the way you were operating, the way you were working and thinking and still are on a daily basis. And I'm so glad you wrote them down. So where would you like to start? Well, you start any place. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure I remember where, where they, what they are. Maybe I, you're going oh. to re-educate me about them. Okay. I have a list. So the first one that I had on my list, and then I skipped right down to like the eighth one, is the first one is the best way to think out the box is not to create the box in the first place. And I love that one because I agree wholeheartedly with that. Well, you you know, from the time we go to school, people teach us that everything is in boxes. What do I call a box? Uh, geography, arithmetic, history. Life is not like that. When we go out in the real world, everything uh, involves solving problems, understanding things. Uh, They're not individual uh, subjects like that. And I I think the educational process uh, is going to evolve so that what we're going to do most of the time is just that, solve problems uh, and think about uh, things in in real world world, uh, terms. So uh, it, uh, the idea of thinking in boxes, by the way, one example uh, of boxes is uh, the issue of uh, racism. We tend to put people in, in boxes, 
uh, and that doesn't make any sense. Every person in the world is different from every other person in the world. So putting people in boxes, whether it's uh, nationality, color, uh, ideas, uh, is uh, dumb. Everybody's an individual, and we ought to understand uh, uh, people based upon uh, issues, what we agree on, what we disagree on. And uh, if we did that, I think the world would be a lot better place. But I also think people are going to be smarter. We waste a lot of time in school uh, uh, thinking about things in very narrow ways. I have to tell you, and I think I've shared this with you before, I hated school. I absolutely hated it. From kindergarten on up, I detested it, partly because I am truly an introvert. It's Being around large groups of people is just miserable for me. I don't do well. Plus, I've been reading since I was three years old, and you said something that had me chuckling a bit, you know, but... I actually have always thought that I was in many ways smarter than my teachers because I was better educated. I read more than they did. I read things that they didn't read. They stayed if then if it was my geography, not geography, but what was it? There's one, one subject I was just, I hated history. It wasn't history. I loved history, but anyway, that's all he would think about. He couldn't think of anything else. And I would go out of my way to challenge him and other areas that were connected and he just wasn't having it. And that's when I realized that I was probably going to be my own best teacher. That was about the second grade. Wow. Well, you were lucky. It took me a long time to grow up to where you were in the second grade. Well, I'm a cranky person, though. You're a nice guy. I'm not. <laughs> so, you know. You've never been cranky to me. I, when you say you're an introvert, I get, I, it's hard for me to accommodate that. You oh, know, yeah, big Really? What, what, are you suggesting that that uh, if you're nice to people one on one, that uh, that that does not make you an extrovert? Is that what you're suggesting? No, <laughs> I just I live in my own head and I like to be alone. My, I have a very creative brain, and I have fun in there. But being around people just. And I like people. I'm not shy, as you can tell, not not in any way, shape, or form. But my best me is when I'm alone. I need to be alone 98% of the time. I know, sounds strange, but that's that's why I built a business in my home. So I don't have to, you know, be around people and tell them to stop talking to me. You know, that's rude. So, yeah, it's just best for me to be off by myself. Well, that's interesting because I I think that's why I ended up being an engineer because uh, I did, in my youth, spend a lot of time alone. My folks both uh, worked uh, all their lives, and uh, so I spent a lot of time alone. uh, And uh, you entertain yourself when you do that. And in my case, uh, I got involved with uh, science and science fiction very early. So uh, when people ask me why, I uh, talk so much about what's going to happen in the future. It's because I have lived in the future for a lot, a lot of my life. Exactly. And, you know, people who are in their own heads and who are thinking creativity, I find people like that. I find people like you and me fascinating because we are thinking in ways that maybe extroverts, and I've got nothing against extroverts. A lot of my friends are 
but they're not thinking in streams, I guess, that that people like you and I do. Look, I'm thinking when I'm sleeping. I will wake up and try to change a channel. It's like, oh, I'm th- I've been there. I have repetitive dreams. <laughs> I wear myself out. But my brain is always, always thinking. And I love that. Yeah. Well, we uh turns out we're uh, very similar. I, uh, I've always thought, amazingly enough, that I was an introvert and that I forced myself to uh, to appear like an extrovert. But uh, it turns out, uh, amazingly enough, I think we are similar in that regard. I'm fine with it. You know, people, when I was a kid, they would call me stuck up or silent or, you know, just really nasty names. And I would just look at them and <laughs> you can laugh. One kid, I think I was in the seventh grade and he went past me in the hall and he might have said something. I didn't know who he was. I had, I was in my head. And he said, you're frigid. And I turned around and looked at him and said, you need a dictionary. He had no idea what he was saying, but he thought it was really rude. <laughs> I thought it was stupid. He never spoke to me again, and I was fine with that. Yeah. 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 Well, as I said, you uh, you matured a lot faster than I did. I, I uh, take these things to heart and sit around pouting when, when somebody oh. else me. <laughs> I just laugh. But I'm trying to grow up. I still have time left. Uh, you know, I'm only 92. <laughs> I, I, I you do. I'll help you. When anybody hurts your feelings, you call me and I'll go whoop them. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot, Denise. That's what my brother used to say. I'm telling my sister. And they say, oh, God, no. Please don't. She's mean. Okay, so one of the other things that you say, which, again, and this has to do, I think, with the cellular phone, I want you to kind of tell me when this this thought occurred to you, but people connect with people, not places. Was this part of your journey with the cell phone? Oh, you bet. Think about it. Uh, You're uh, actually too young to know. There was a time when you picked up a phone, and when you dialed that phone, you were calling a place, right? In fact, the very first phone, people that were wealthy enough to have a phone had one phone, Sitting in the uh, in the hallway, uh, sometimes it was in the kitchen, but you had a single phone in the house that everybody used. And when you called somebody, whether, whether it was an office or a home, you were calling a location, and that has totally changed. When you dial a number, you expect a person to answer, not only a person, the person that you're calling. That's a dramatic difference, and the amazing thing is that the People at the, in the bell system never could get grasp that. To them, the wireless phone, the cell phone, uh, was just a, another version of the wired phone, just an, an extension. Uh, and uh, I've talked to some of the people uh, that I knew at that time, and they still haven't figured it out. But it really is a very different world now. And, and that's, of course, why uh, the uh, subtitle of my book is that the world has been transformed. It's it's a different place now because people can connect so readily with uh, other people. It is. And I'm stunned that Bell and why couldn't they figure it out? Why were they not watching what you were doing? Did they not really understand that how they were doing business 
was keeping people, I love the way you said, you know, kind of stuck in their car. No, thank you. Imagine being stuck in my car, having to make a call, a very expensive call, and then, you know, try to get home or if it was in my driveway or wherever I was, but I would still be tied to that box, that vehicle or the house or wherever I was tied. I can't figure out why they didn't understand what you were doing. Well, there's things that are obvious to people that uh, have good imaginations like you and me uh, may not be obvious to uh, to other people. Uh, when uh, uh, We take for granted you know, that we have cell phones now, but uh, if you think about uh, 50 years ago, uh, it, it was unimaginable to people that you'd be able to reach out and talk. The radio, the TV had just been... Uh, invented at that time. There were, there, oh. uh, the televisions that were all black and white for those few people that could afford them. So, uh, as I said before, they were primitive times and and not everybody could imagine the freedom that would come of being able to talk to everybody all the time. And now we can talk to anybody we want. And my... I mentioned to you in the green room, my brother is leaving this plane of existence. He's been ill for quite a while, and it's probably just a matter of days now. But I was able to, because of my cell phone, I spoke with him last Wednesday, and I was able to call him from my desk phone, which I'm always going to have a desk phone. I like having that cord in my office. But I was able to call him from the cell phone. We had a very nice conversation and basically said our goodbyes and I love yous and I'm sorry's. And I was able to record it on the record app on my phone. I will treasure that forever. I think that's wonderful. But, you know, you, know, you can extrapolate that to the future. The whole idea of having to get on an airplane to go visit somebody uh, uh, 20 or 30 years from now uh, is going to be, uh, they're going to think about us uh, as primitive because the uh, the way technology is moving uh, at some point in the future, you're going to be able to talk to somebody uh, that is a thousand miles away, but you're going to see them as though they were right next to you in, in the, uh, in three dimensions, uh, in full detail, so the the whole idea of getting on an airplane to go somewhere uh, at some point is going to uh, disappear. I, I wouldn't sell my airline stock just yet. Cause it'll take a couple of generations for that to happen. Yeah, but that's uh, inevitable. You know, and, and you had mentioned that you liked um, science fiction and, you know, those kind of books and those kind, I guess, you know, television shows. I don't watch much TV. I never have. But Star Trek, I've watched a bit of, and pretty much everything they said was happening then in their world has kind of come true now, hasn't it? It has. I mean, we haven't the beat me up, Scotty. Yeah. Believe it or not, I think that's going to happen someday. And uh, that's the nice thing about being a futurist. Uh, the, uh, I know these things are going to happen. Yeah, but uh, you can't argue with me about it because it's going to happen generations from now. We're all going to be gone. 
So I can imagine anything I want, and you can't argue with me about it. <laughs> I wouldn't dare because I agree with you. I watch things and how quickly they're happening. My great-grandmother used to tell stories about how she and her family came across the United States in a covered wagon. It wasn't that long ago. And wow. here we are. I know. It just wasn't that long ago, but look how things have changed so quickly. Look, I, I'm going to go right along with you because I think, I don't know that I want anybody standing in my office looking at me, though. <laughs> I don't think I like that idea at all. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, we're, uh, I we're, think, go ahead. I, I was just going to say we're always going to have an on-off switch. Oh, good. If you want, if you don't, if, you're gonna, if somebody's standing next to you that you don't like, you just flip the switch and they're gone. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> I don't even have a camera on my, my desktop. It's like, no, thank you. Okay, so, Marty, you also say that people are inherently, naturally, and fundamentally mobile. Again, that's going to go. Did I ask you that one already? I went to people, connect yeah. with people, not places. But we, we've kind of talked about that one, haven't we? Yeah, well, you know, my example of that is uh, obvious. You go to the airport, you look at the freeway, uh, everybody is going somewhere else. Nobody's where they want to be. So uh, people just uh, have to uh, travel, and the idea that they, when they're, while they're traveling, they lose touch, it's not very natural. So uh, that's one of the uh, issues that uh, persuaded us that, we have to get rid of that copper wire. People have to communicate without a wire. They have the freedom to be to talk, no matter where they are and where what they were doing. Exactly. And anybody who is listening to us now or will download download this later on, go back to our first interview, which was in December of last year. You can go to iTunes and just look for Marty Cooper and you can find it because we talked a lot about this. So what we call technology is and always will be the application of science to create products and services that improve the lives of people. I think that's brilliant. I agree with it and I think it's very profound. How did you come up with that one and when? Do you remember when you started thinking like that? Well, uh, I do. Uh, and I still uh, see examples of that today, of, of uh, engineers and techies who get so enchanted by the science of what they're doing that they forget that everything that we do, any invention that we make, is meaningless unless it makes somebody's life better. So the uh, the idea of somebody getting so wrapped up in in the technology that they forget that. Uh, it's kind of uh, uh, obvious, uh, and yet uh, so many of the gadgets that we have, of things that are supposed to make our lives uh, better, uh, were done by techies who forget that, and we have situations where I can't read uh, the uh, labeling uh, on a gadget or I have no uh, understanding of what it does. Uh, here I have used a cell phone of probably as much as anybody in the world. And there are times when I can't figure out my own cell phone. And uh, that doesn't uh, make any sense. Good technology ought to be invisible. Uh, oh. A really, really good invention yeah. should be uh, helping us 
and and uh, making our lives better without us even knowing it's there. And we shouldn't have to read tiny, tiny, this is a gripe, tiny little pages of, you know, 14 pages of instructions that nobody can read. What is that all my about? Tooth, my toothbrush, I noticed this morning, has printing on it that I can't read. And I've got pretty good eyes. So who, who, who invented that? It's probably saying this side up. The trouble was it was some kid, a twenty-year-old kid that decided what what that print should be, and, and yet most telling. of the people that use that use the toothbrush are in their forties and fifties and and uh, need glasses to see the uh, the printing. Still there, Denise. Yeah, you, I'm sorry, I, I muted us by accident. I like what you said about being invisible, and the toothbrush is a great example of that because, look, I have a cordless toothbrush as well. It, all I need to know is where the on button is, the off button is, and how to you know change the batteries. That's it. I don't need any further instructions. That's, to me, how it should be invisible. It's easy to use, it's easy to understand, and it does what I bought it to do. Is that what you mean? That's exactly right. Actually, there's an in-between level they call intuitive that you should, uh, there should be, uh, uh, whatever is printed there or whatever the shape of something is should give you a clue of what to do. And uh, so at a minimum, the gadgets we use should be uh, intuitive. It should be obvious what to do. But really the best gadgets are just Invisible. You just uh, do what what is, uh, uh, you would normally do, and things just work. That's really me, what the object, what objective of right. inventors ought, ought to be. Can you give me some examples of what you're thinking of? Oh, you, uh, if if I didn't have you putting pressure on me, I could think of a hundred <gasps> examples. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Give us some thought. And we may circle back, but or email me because I know you've got a bunch of them. So, and we're talking about this too. We were just talking about this. Customization is the inexor- inexorable direction of products and services. Every human is unique, different from every other human. Yeah. Well. Uh... The first part is obvious that, that everybody is different from everybody else, uh, and when you have a uh, a device that's supposed to make your life better, it ought to make your life better, not the average person. And the way they solve that with uh, with uh, cell phones today, as an example, uh, is they say, "Oh well, you could customize your phone. All you got to do is select the right app. You know what an app is." Sort for the phone. application, right? <laughs> yeah, there there are two million applications for the iPhone, and two million applications for Android phones, and all you have to do is go and select among those two millions the ones that are going to make your life better. It's ludicrous, and the the real answer, and we're starting to ease up on that, is that every phone ought to have an artificial intelligence built in. 
excuse me, that is uh, looking at your behavior that knows what you need and want and will either find an app or create one that makes your life more convenient so you can think about the things that are important to you and, and not worry about the trivial things in life. So uh, little by little, you know, we, with the uh, uh, iPhone, you've got Siri, uh, uh, the, uh, I forgot who the Android, but uh, we've got uh, Alexa for uh, Amazon. Uh, uh, little by little, we're easing up on having our own private artificial intelligence that is dedicated to us and that is going to make our lives simpler and better. That makes sense. You know, the problem I have with my iPhone, though, is getting some of those apps that I don't want on there, getting them off, and they don't want me taking them off. And I don't like that. I think all apps should be able to be removed. Of course. uh, This this whole concept of uh, somebody's going to give us something for nothing, it's going to be free, uh, but then we lose control. It doesn't make any sense either, and, no. uh, and that is it, it, we're going to. That's what we, uh, one of the things uh, we talked about earlier about people getting more educated. Uh, at some point, people are going to understand that you don't get anything for nothing. If you want to be in control of your life, you ought to pay for it. And if somebody wants your information, then they ought to pay you for it. So uh, little by little. Uh, we are going to change the world so that we are in control uh, and not uh, Amazon and Facebook and Google, who yep. at the moment are, they, they get control of us by giving us things for nothing. I think that's changing. I think people are beginning to go, you know what? This isn't working for me. I don't need to see ads everywhere I go. I'm waiting for them to show up on the mirror in my bathroom. Seriously. They're just so ubiquitous. They're everywhere. And I do everything I can to stop them. Yeah. I, no, I think you're right. You are, uh, you know, once again, you are a, a futurist, uh, and people are going to follow your lead, I think. I think people are tired of being, we feel like we're being watched, and I believe we are at some level, and it seems to be increasing. So let's go, don't get me started down that path, I'm sorry. So let's go to the radio frequency spectrum. You say it's public property in the United States. I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure what that means. Well, you know, every time you make a phone call, you use a, a radio channel that's just like the TV channel. You know, when you uh, when you uh, watch uh, Television, I know you don't, uh, but uh, you when you click from one channel to another, you, you, you are using one radio band, and there are only so many radio bands in the, in the what we call the radio spectrum. And every time you do a phone call, you're using a, a section of this radio band. So people have been assuming that there are only so many of these channels, and if uh, when you use them all up, there won't be any more. Did not realize that we engineers are figuring out how to put more information into every channel. It used to be, uh, and I, I hate to use these technical terms, 
but it used to be that a TV channel uh, was maybe 12 or 15 megahertz wide. That's the term we use for how wide the band is uh, of these radio channels. Uh, we're now using only one megahertz, 12 times less than we used to, and we get the same information through. And little by little, engineers have figured out how to put more and more information in. Uh, and so uh, what what does that all that mean? What it means is that at the moment, uh, uh, somebody like Verizon will spend a billion dollars and get control of a big hunk of, the, of this radio spectrum so that nobody else can do it. What the result of that is less competition. And the more competition we have, the more people that are fighting to serve us, to serve us better than the other guy, the better our lives will be. The more engineers get disciplined. So uh, one way or another, the idea of giving anybody exclusive use of a channel the way we do it today, telling people that uh, Verizon is going to be uh, a provider and T-Mobile and AT&T, and nobody else can provide service. It doesn't make any sense. We ought to have lots of people competing to give us, to make our lives better and to give us new services. Kind of a techie concept, but I think it's very important. It is. I live in a fairly rural, or it used to be, rural area of southwest Louisiana. And when I say it used to be, now all the sugarcane fields are being mowed down and houses are popping up everywhere, which makes me sad, but it's progress, I guess. But for the longest kind of time, the only Internet and phone service that we had if we wanted to bundle services was Cox Communications. Marty, I'm telling you, I hated that company. I also can tell you there was probably a group of three people in a room. When they heard my name, they just went, oh, God, it's her again. Because <laughs> I, they never got anything right. So when AT&T came along and other, you know, processors or other companies came along, there was a massive rush away from Cox Communications because while they had us, they didn't take care of us. Now they're trying to woo us back. I just laugh. Yeah. No, I think competition is uh, one of the most important things in our society. That's one of the things that makes democracy work. Exactly. Listen, I've got your book in front of me in one of my yellow highlighted spots. In the 19th and century, 20th centuries, social media was overwhelmed by hierarchical, hierarchical, say that word for me, please. Yeah. I can read it. Hierarch- I can't say it. Hierarchical. I can spell it. I can read it. Don't ask me to say it twice real fast. So those systems of information and control, and then you went on to say information was delivered. This is important. Information was delivered rather than exchanged. It was one way. The cell phone as a form of people-to-people communication, independent of wires and places, helped break open that system. So today's social media is social again, thanks to cell phone. That is so true. Yeah. Well, it, it, everything you just said is kind of self-evident, but only self-evident after you live it and and see it happen. I bet. I, I mean, you know, you can look at your history and say, oh, I didn't see that at the time, but by golly, there it is. 
Yeah, you know, social media uh, to me is uh, is kind of an experiment. It's a game, uh, and yet games are really important because games teach us uh, how to use things. I, I told you earlier in our conversation that I that I have an abiding confidence in people, and what happens when you give people a game? They play the game and they figure it out. They get smarter and they start using it more and more more and more effectively. Uh, and the next thing you know, these games turn out to be uh, uh, technology that makes uh, our lives better uh, and easier. So uh, I think social media uh, are going to evolve uh, into new forms of collaboration of people working together, thinking together, and, and you know that you get two people working on a problem uh, and they solve the problem more than twice as good as, as a single person. And, and when you have figure out how to have groups of people who can communicate in different ways continually, wherever they are, uh, and by the way, they can shut each other off when they get tired of them, but when you uh, evolve this collaboration, the world is going to be much more efficient uh, and much better. That makes perfect sense to me. So I have to ask, are there negative effects of the cell phones? What are you seeing? Of course there are. Uh, uh, the the uh, one that people t- uh, talk to me most about is, is the kids uh, sitting around looking at their cell phone instead of talking to each other. And I point out to them that a lot of these kids, when they're looking at their cell phone, are texting uh, other children. Well, maybe uh, uh, maybe these people are doing better than we are. Maybe they are learning how to communicate uh, uh, quicker. But there are, there, you can carry these things too far. And one example of carrying things too far is uh, uh, my observation is when I watch people crossing the street, about 30% of the people are doing, looking at their cell phones while they're walking. Uh, and if you think about what percentage of our drivers are really not very good drivers, uh, they've got to be out of their minds to be looking at your cell phone while you're crossing the street. So uh, there are uh, negatives. Uh, you mentioned earlier that there are still a few nasty people in the world who take advantage of social media to insult other people, uh, uh, and uh, what can I say about that other than uh, uh, we hope that people are going to get more educated in the future, uh, and uh, we learn how to accommodate nasty people. I haven't learned how to do that like you do, uh, Denise, but uh, uh, the the best way to treat, I think, uh, people that are that don't respect other people is to just ignore them. Exactly. Or picture them naked walking up the stairs backwards. That's always fun. What was that about walking up the stairs backwards? Yeah, I used to do this with one of my teachers. I really didn't like her. I would picture her naked walking upstairs backwards, and then I would start laughing in class, and she'd send me to the principal. It worked. I have to try that one out. (laughs) Try (laughs) it It's entertaining, if nothing else. So, and you're talking about kids on phones, and and an example of that for me was some years ago, I went to a Christmas program at a local church, 
And during the break time, I saw this beautiful little family. They were several pews behind us and beautiful little family, all dressed up so pretty. Dad, mom, three kids, all on their cell phones. These kids were not, I think the oldest was 10 years old. They weren't paying any attention to each other. They weren't talking about the program. They weren't looking around. Their heads were bowed and not in prayer. And I was so sad. It just made me sad. And this was years ago, and I can still see it in my head. Yeah, well, that is a little sad because, uh, you know, I, I did uh, my my great-granddaughter. Would you believe I have a, a great-granddaughter is now two years old. Aww. And she can now use, yeah, she can now use an iPad. But her no. parents uh, are very disciplined. And they will let her do that for a short period of time, and then they take it away from her because they don't want her to be uh, to become a slave of her phone. So uh, I think we still need parenting. Yeah, we still oh, need uh, yeah. to learn things. Exactly. My cats can use an iPad. They play the Friskies game, so <laughs> they're almost as smart as your great-granddaughter. I don't believe you. Really? Yeah. Wow, you're pulling a- my leg. No, there's a Friskies game, and they play fish. They're very good at it. I'm amazed. It's, yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you. They, I have to put it on the big iPad, though. They don't want to do it on my phone. They don't want it on the smaller iPad. It has to be on the Pro, so you know, two or three of them can get around them and go fish. It's It's amazing to watch. I mean, you can even train a cat to use at least a game on an iPad, which is kind of sad. Okay, so... What part, this book is fascinating to me. I've said that and I mean it. And I, you know, said this when I read the galley, what part or parts of the book are you the most proud of and that you would like to kind of direct people to, if they're not particularly techie, but they want to know how this happened, you know, how this cell phone came to be and and what your part of it was, what would you like to share? Well, you know, at the moment, this book was not supposed to be uh, a story of my life. It was not uh, supposed to be an autobiography. But the one thing that I figured out uh, is that uh, whatever you accomplish uh, in life uh, has to do with what your entire life has been before that. The the most important thing in my life is learning new things and growing. And here I am, uh, 92 years old, and I'm still learning. Well, and as a matter of fact, today I, I learned that cats can operate iPads. <laughs> That's a new piece of information. And, and uh, so the uh, the uh, message that I tried to give in my book is even in my early uh, in my early ages, I learned from my uh, the uh, my dynamic mother uh, about facing problems in life. Uh, and uh, when I got to be an engineer, uh, I solved uh, uh, problems uh, that were uh, very small in nature. And each time I'd solve a problem, I'd build up confidence, uh, become uh, more a more competent engineer, and took on bigger problems. So the idea of creating uh, a cell phone, uh, uh, it wouldn't make any sense without that entire life behind me. And, and uh, so that I I'd hope that people would get that message, that, that learning uh, is important. And the more you learn, the more confident you get, 
the more you're able to manage life and the more you're able to contribute to society. Very much so. And the story has to be about you. You you did this. So you can't get away from that autobiographical. Did I say that one right? <laughs> I'm really struggling yeah. today. Um, you can't get away from that aspect, and I'm glad you didn't. So, uh, But I do want to go back to pagers. Do those still are those around still? Did they serve their purpose and move on? No, believe it or not, uh, the, the paging business was huge for uh, in the United States alone. There were 50 million pagers. Uh, there, are, the number today is in the, the low millions, but there are still people that just want an alert. They just want to get beeped. And think about it. Doesn't it? Isn't that what your uh, cell phone does when you have uh, reminders? Uh, yeah. Sometimes a beep is, a beep is, is uh, adequate, but uh, but what used to be a huge uh, industry has faded away and, and it's almost gone. But uh, the, the pager was a very important part of, of, my, of my life because it did teach me that uh, how important it was for uh, people to have uh, tools that could reach them wherever they were. And by the way, the the pager set a whole uh, generation of uh, doctors and uh, uh, executives uh, and people like that free. The freedom that they had as an example uh, of a doctor uh, having a patient in a hospital who was in trouble uh, and the doctor couldn't leave the hospital uh, because uh, the patient might need him. And a, and a doctor now could go out and uh, be with his family or go play a game of golf and know that he could be reached and could get back to the hospital in a matter of minutes uh, to take care of his patient. So uh, the the freedom that came from this uh, ability to be in touch uh, was one of the issues that made it obvious to us that the telephone uh, had to be wireless, that, that phones cell phones have to be uh, usable everywhere. I still cannot understand why other companies wouldn't see that. That doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I mean, it just seems so obvious now. Well, uh, it, it is kind of, of amazing, but uh, in general, people uh, can't predict don't predict what's going to happen in the future. Even engineers don't. Uh, science fiction writers are much better at it. But somebody did a study once, and they concluded what you mentioned earlier when you talked about Star Trek, that the reality sometimes goes beyond even what the science fiction writers write. So uh, I'm glad that uh, there is a thing like uh, science fiction, and I'm glad there are people like you and me that uh, imagine what the world would be like if it was different. Exactly. I mean, if you look at what's going on, what has gone on in the past, and how rapidly we're moving, there's not much that's off the table, I don't think. I was reading I was reading this again yesterday as I was um, getting ready to go back on the air with you, and you were talking about a conversation that you had with an off, a Chicago officer cop, and you were trying to kind of get into his head, into his needs, what he needed, and would they be willing to 
accept or reject a portable radio as a tool. Tell me about that because I found that fascinating. Yeah, well, well, you know, I was so proud of what we were doing when we were making this portable, and I got pulled over by this policeman because I, uh, I must have been talking on the phone, and I uh, turns out I was speeding. Uh, and I said, officer, uh, you know, I uh, work for Motorola just down the street here, uh, and we're making a, a uh, two-way radio that you can carry with you and talk to your uh, team where, wherever you are. And he says, yeah. He says, you know, I got a uh, baton I got to carry with me. I got this gun I got to carry with me. Uh, I've got my ticket pad that I, that I carry with me. I got my handcuffs. All this stuff is on my belt. You want me to carry something else? Sorry, buddy. I'm not having it. And he wrote me a ticket. So the the first time that an officer, uh, and this is a real story, uh, intercepted a thief uh, uh, who was uh, 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 burglarizing a business, the guy uh, shot the officer in the leg, and he's lying on the street, and he calls for help on his portable phone, uh, and basically uh, the uh, his uh, colleagues came along uh, and literally saved his life. That story got out, and the resistance the policemen had to carrying a portable disappeared. They realized that they could call for help anytime, and that this was going to be a valuable tool. But uh, but it didn't get me out of that ticket. <laughs> That's too bad. I read that and I read it twice and went, oh, again, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, if it's new and it's heavy and you don't want to deal with it, I can understand his his issue with it. But he wasn't really looking forward. He he wasn't even really willing to try it, was he? No. Well, shame on us for making the phone so big at that time because by the time we got done, the, the, the uh, two-way radio was about the size of a modern cell phone, so it really was not that burdensome. But but it turns out he was right. If you looked at a policeman at that time, uh, when they added the, uh, the portable radio, which at that time really was a brick, uh, you felt a little sorry for these guys with stuff uh, all around their belt. Uh, today, it's, it's, uh, it's much less of a problem. I still feel sorry for them. All that stuff hanging on you, that would drive me nuts. Marty, it has been wonderful speaking with you. I always love chatting with you. And before I let you go, tell people where they can find you and why they should buy your book. I'm going to tell the audience, buy the book. It's a fabulous book. But you know, any last thoughts you've got, share them now if you would. No, you can get my book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or uh, Audible. Uh, uh, you get electronic copy as well. And I hope uh, that people enjoy it and that they uh, uh, not only get a feel for uh, uh, what's going to happen with the future of the cell phone, but how the cell phone is being used all over the world today in ways that are really important to people's lives. There are people uh, uh, moving out of poverty in Africa. There are people in Mexico, in villages that are 
getting health care that they never had before uh, because they can be treated by a doctor remotely. So I, I hope that you find uh, all of these things interesting in my book. And Denise, you're wonderful. I, I don't know where that hour went, but it just seemed to have uh, evaporated. And uh, I enjoyed it so much, and I always learn uh, from you much more than I teach. Oh, no, I learned from you, and I thank you. And I'm sorry I, I uh, kind of spoke over you there a couple of times. I was, I was like, you couldn't see me, but I was like, oh, my hand is up. I got a question, I got a question, and I would just interrupt you, and I'm so sorry, but... It's kind of the effect you have on me. You make my brain go zit, and I've got questions. So thank you. It's wonderful speaking with you. So I thank you for being here. That was the nicest compliment you could give me. And thank you, Denise. And any time you want to talk again, uh, I'm available. You're wonderful. Oh, thank you. Right back at you. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes. Oh, and thank you for helping me with my word gaps. (laughs) I could spell them. I could see them. I'm in the South. We don't use big words. But anyway, before look for us on iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Thank you, Marty. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.